The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Listeners should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. Hello, everybody. This is Dan David. I'm back with you, and the pack is back with you. Today, we're going to talk about Bitcoin. Not something we've done in the past, but we're going to be doing more of it in the future. We're going to learn a little more about Bitcoin because we think this is kind of a, a currency, an alternative currency here to stay. Our first guest is a pseudonymous guy by the name of Sertoshi. Seems to know a lot about BSV Bitcoin and who? Satoshi Nakamoto. Who Satoshi Nakamoto is. And he had lunch with him and he talks about that as well as his view on the future of Bitcoin. Kind of an interesting conversation. We're going to do a lot more on Bitcoin in the future. We don't own any at this point. Uh, we may, but we're going to try and figure out what is the coin to own going forward because you should own something, in my opinion. And Sertoshi is going to be the first guest of many. With that, Let's talk to Sertoshi. How are you, Sertoshi? I'm very good. Great to uh, great to finally sit down and have a long old chat with you. Oh yeah. Well, let's do that. Um, Having been a fan of your uh, that uh, that China Hustle documentary, honestly, like yeah, like I said before, blew me away. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, the fraud in the in is amazing. I don't know that anybody anybody particular in the in the documentary is amazing, but <laughs> well, I meant the story, you know, yeah, the, whole, the, story, the whole thing right, was fascinating, sure. you know, the story behind it, what was going on, what was, you know, unveiled, unbelievable, you know? Just, yeah, yeah. What we, I find interesting as I, I work in a world where anonymity is sometimes necessary for, for some people, they feel like they, they need to be anonymous. And I, I never have been, but I respect their, their position in it sometimes you know we're, we're critical right we're short or we're writing critical research and they may have a full-time job at a long fund or they may not want the hassle of you know the blowback from being critical but you are mm. are kind of in in the bitcoin space and you've chosen to be anonymous yourself like i don't know who you are i don't know your real name <laughs> Oh, I'm actually sued. I'm pseudonymous. <laughs> okay, so you're pseudonymous. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess if you choose a a name, then you're pseudonymous. Why is that? Yeah. Well, uh, well. So this is actually really quite uh, quite interesting. Um, so the this is the main thing that also a lot of people get confused with within Bitcoin: the difference between anonymity and privacy. So again, with what I do, trying to explain it to so many people, um, I try to explain things metaphorically. So um, anonymity is what you have in the toilet cubicle. Privacy is what you and your partner have behind the bedroom door. That's the fundamental difference between it. Anonymity, no one knows you. You effectively can do whatever you want. You are um, you can act with complete impunity. Whereas with when you're private with someone, you can engage in trade with that person. Um, you can both identify each other, but no third parties can interfere. I'm pretty well aware of the concept, and, and I appreciate the explanation, but I, I still don't understand why you being in the Bitcoin space, you feel like uh, you need privacy. Oh, my goodness me. Right. Well, it's, it's like this. So people have got money on the line. Yeah. And... The main thing with Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is um, is, a, is a digital commodity. It's commodity money, right? And and people are invested in this, and there have been so many political yarns and stories spun um, by those who are in control of the current fiat money supply, who obviously do not want Bitcoin to start. Um, that literally somebody like myself who would come out and sort of like speak the truth. Yeah, um, would get absolutely crucified. Really, <laughs> you know, um, who would you get crucified by, by? These other people. Who would you get crucified by? Do you think? Uh, do you think the government, the people who, 
who are really backing the fiat currency and the way that we we live today? Or do you think other people in the Bitcoin space, because as I'm seeing, it's a very fractured kind of space, right? You know, with these hard forks and other shit you guys talk mm-hmm. about that you'll explain to us. Uh, who do you yeah, think? Yeah. Who do you think would come after you? Oh my god! Well, trolls, shit coiners, and just idiots. Like there is so much money on the line in this space. Yeah. Like literally, if if you if you tell someone the truth and the truth is something that they don't want to hear and they certainly don't understand, but all they know is that it's contrary to their line of thinking. Um, <laughs> they go absolutely crazy. Oh, shocking! You know? Really. Huh. We, we've never yeah. experienced that. No. Never. No. Never. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yes, I do know what you mean. Yeah. So if I was to come over um, you know, to the United States, I would more than happily meet you boys down the pub, you know, have a beer, have a coffee, have a chat, go to a meal and all that. You know, so you would get to know me, but just kind of like while I'm ev- everything that I do online um, is, uh, is private. Yeah. No, I know a lot of um, pseudonymous people. In person, mm. right? And like you say, we'll we'll go have a drink or, or talk it out, and I don't discuss who they are, uh, but I know why they are uh, pseudonymous, and I mm. just didn't understand, for in your case, just how difficult it can be in the Bitcoin space. And I, I guess I want the listeners to understand yeah. that, you know, look, this is a this is a blood sport. It sounds like Bitcoin. Well, if um, what we do, I, what I thought during this interview, like literally, if you ask me questions, you will very soon understand uh, the situation that we're in and that I'm kind of like facing and why I choose to be private. And if you think about it, Bitcoin is digital. So so yeah. the whole, the entire space is digital. Everything is to do with digital technology and being online. Yeah. You know, and these people have access to you. All your information is digital. Yeah. You know, if somebody decides they don't like you, they can literally find out who you are, target you, and you have no idea who they are. So I, I do my best to keep my person as private as possible. I am I am well aware of that, Sertashi. Yeah, it doesn't really matter who I am personally. What matters is is the information that I'm giving. No, I I, I totally agree. And as I said, I respect I respect anybody's right to be pseudonymous, anonymous, whatever. I just think listeners need to understand why it is, because it, you know, quite frankly, it'll come up. Right. So I've, I've got yeah, this yeah. interview with Satoshi, who is yeah, this yeah. guy, and people are going to want to know why you're not putting your name out there. So I'm just putting it out there <laughs> up front why that is in your own words. Well, when uh, at, at the end of this interview, uh, I think you'll probably understand why okay. like when you get the full picture of this thing. OK, so let's go to that. I think f- for the listeners, you have to have a basic understanding of Bitcoin. Uh, to follow the rest of this program, I'm not going to get into what is a Bitcoin. Let's let's work on the premise that we know that Bitcoin is a digital currency that has been around for you know at least the last decade or so, uh, and it was developed by um, another anonymous individual or pseudonymous individual, mm-hmm. yeah, Satoshi yeah. Nakamoto. Uh, and yeah, yeah. what what do you know about Satoshi Nakamoto? Everything. Sure. I've met him. I met him for lunch. Oh, you met him for lunch? Yeah, yeah. So you know who Satoshi Nakamoto is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, a lot of people claim to be Satoshi Nakamoto, right? There's this huh. uh this this kind of UK douche that uh that claims <laughs> to be Satoshi Nakamoto and then has a bunch of patents on on um processes of Bitcoin and, and it's trying to corner the market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget that guy's name, Roger something, I think, isn't it? Or Oh, God, Roger Ver. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. They call him Bitcoin Jesus. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know if that's if I'm getting that right. No, nah, um, that's not Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah. Um, but you, you, so tell us, uh, since you had your lunch with Satoshi Nakamoto, did you you had to ask the basic questions, right? Why did you do this? How did you do this? How long did it take? What was what was really pushing you to make Bitcoin? Oh yeah, well I I actually knew all that already before I met him. Well, I knew everything about Bitcoin. The only thing I just I just wanted to 
you know, I was I was 99.99999% sure that he was Satoshi Nakamoto, but I just wanted that personal fulfillment. I was just like, look, you know, wh- who I wanted to know rather than like, obviously I knew what he was, but it's just like, who are you as a person? You know, what, what are you likely to, um, uh, how are you likely to react in certain situations? Can I trust, you know, your judgment effectively? Um, so that's kind of like what the, uh, the reason I, I made for lunch, but yeah, I worked on it for, yeah, a, a long, long time to, uh, basically prove myself within the space and, uh, uh, you know, get to know him. Yeah, it was, uh, I'm, I'm writing a book on it. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy, but I, I tell you, um, I'll tell you pretty, I, I'll tell you something about him. So, um, oh, and just to let you know that, uh, I have actually seen his tax records in, uh, for 2009 that he filed with Bitcoin. He is Satoshi Nakamoto without a shadow of a doubt. Okay. But other people just simply don't want to. Yeah. Cause so he's, he's pseudonymous. Yeah, the Australian tax office knew who he was when he filed his tax returns. You know, in relation to Bitcoin, I guess other people. Just I guess don't he's want Australian. To, uh, uh, we, we've worked it down to a continent. I guess he's Australian, or he files his taxes there. Yeah, yeah. His name's uh, Craig Wright. Oh, known in this, known in the space as Fake Toshi. <laughs> so Satoshi Nakamoto is Craig Wright. Yep. Oh, I guess he's not pseudonymous anymore then, right? Well, th- well, this is it. Okay. Uh, oh, crikey. Well, let me, um, let, me, let me fill you in on why he had yeah. to be um, uh, pseudonymous. So uh, it's, it's, it's like this. The cryptocurrency starts with a paradox. And the paradox is that a cryptocurrency is created. It, it's man-made. So therefore, if it can be created by someone, it can also be created by someone else anywhere at any time, which means there is an infinite supply of them. And an infinite supply means a fundamental value of absolute zero. So so what is it that gives the cryptocurrency its value? Yeah, the limited supply. uh, Right. So we've gone off the gold standard and we just print money, which eventually leads to money being worthless. But with Bitcoin, there is, I guess, what, you're going to get to 21 million coins? Yeah. But but my point is, uh, anybody anybody else can make a Bitcoin. You know, literally. And there are thousands of them on the market. So what is it that fundamentally gives it a value? And the value is its neutrality. How is it that, how is how can you, if money has a central point of authority, control, or influence, it has no value as money because someone has control of it. And to ask the question practically, you can say, how can you possibly get America and China to agree to use a currency? If China said, oh, right, we've created a currency, there is no way America will ever agree to use it through political policy. And if America did the same thing, China would never use it. So how on earth can you get these two superpowers to agree to use a currency when it has been created by a central point of authority that obviously has control over it? And so this, this is the point. The point that the value in, in Bitcoin comes from the neutral growth of the network without that central point of authority or control. So let's say like with, with Bitcoin, nobody initially knew who the creator was. They're like, how can you agree not to use it? So this, this is the secret that, like, that no one else knows about. And I, I call this how he solved the paradox of the centralized starting point. So um, he's created a Bitcoin as if it's a commodity. And to be a commodity, uh, you have to give it uh, credibility. So he knew that if he started the network under a pseudonym and no one knew who he was, and then he stepped away from the project and just simply let it grow without that central point of authority, control, or influence, then that growth is where the value is. But it's still um, sort of the central, the fact that he started it, even though it was under a pseudonym, still discredits it. So then, well, how do you, um, how do you give credibility to the starting point? Well, this is what he did. So he released the white paper on the 31st of October, 2008. 
And within that white paper was all the information that anyone and everyone needed in order to start the network themselves. So it's a bit like gold being in the ground, already being there, waiting to be found by someone. So he released that white paper. Now, in, in UK law, particularly in property law, if, uh, like if, if um, a landlord wants to give a tenant's notice, a reasonable uh, notice period is considered two months. So Satoshi Nakamoto said to himself, right, well, it's really important that I actually start this network under a pseudonym so that no one knows who I am. But it's also really important that I give anyone and everyone the opportunity to start the network themselves. And I need to provide them with a reasonable amount of time, which is two months. So if it's really important for me to start the network uh, and I still need to provide two months grace period effectively, what are the two months of the year that give me the best opportunity of starting the, the network myself but still providing the two months? And the, the answer is November and December, which, are the, which is the festive period. So he released the white paper on the 31st of October 2008 because that's Halloween, which again was an added distraction. Everything is all about like, you know, um, adding neutrality to this. So we re released it on, on Halloween and then November went past and then December, obviously you've got Christmas and New Year and a festive period. And then eventually he started it on, under a pseudonym on the 3rd of January, 2009. So anyone could have started it. Everybody had, um, you know, um, the information that they needed, um, but he, he gave everybody a chance. And he's like, right, that's your credibility. Now I'm going to start it under a pseudonym and now I'm going to step away from the project. But how long do you give it before you're just like, look, you know, I have to reveal myself eventually. And, and how long a time frame can you give it that gives it a fundamental value? Because let's say you left it like maybe like two or three years and nobody found out who you were. You know, another, somebody else could start a, a cryptocurrency under the same way and they might be able to stay hidden for three years. You know, they might be able to stay hidden for five years, like six years, seven years, eight years. But 10 years, that's another story. That's an entire decade which is what he has done. And so he planned this because he set up a tulip trust that was to be released to him, bore back to him on the 1st of January in the year 2020, which was the beginning of this year. And that's when he came out and revealed himself. So the first 10 years or 11 years was all about the neutral growth of the network because that starting point is diluted over time because you get more and more miners coming in, um, sustaining the network. And the more miners that come in, the more the, uh, the point of centralization, authority and control is diluted. So now you've got a network with 10 years worth of neutral growth and dilution that nobody can say, you know, is controlled by anybody. Did you know he, uh, it was Craig right before the first of this year? Uh, I, let me think, when did I figure out? I, so I started, um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I lost, I literally, I lost everything in, in the beginning of 2018. Um, how? and I literally, I had I literally had nothing, a worst experience I've ever how, had. In my how did you, life. how did you lose everything? Because I, I didn't know how to get out. I wasn't familiar with trading. I didn't know that, uh, I know this sounds really stupid now, but I, I didn't realize that the, the US dollar could be used as a stable coin. Uh-huh, okay. So I, I literally watched the market go down and down and down, and then I only really figured out how I could have saved what I'd lost and, and then sort of realizing that it'd been in front of my face this entire time just uh -huh. sent me over the edge. <laughs> okay. All right, so you didn't know you could peg it to the dollar, I guess. Um, and, uh, well, there's, there's a, um, uh, these trading platforms have released what they call, um, stable coins, which are cryptocurrencies, which are pegged to the U S dollar. Yeah. And so if you want to trade Bitcoin, what you do is you, you convert it into this, this cryptocurrency, which is pegged to the U S dollar uh -huh. and it keeps its dollar value. Okay. So that's how you lost your money. You didn't realize that, you know, you didn't have to let it float and be as volatile. Mm. But when did you meet Craig Wright? 
so I, because I was in such a such a, a deep hole at the time, basically I set myself a project um, <laughs> and promised myself that I wouldn't kill myself until I'd achieved it. And that okay. goal was to find and maybe have lunch and dinner with the person who I believed had created Bitcoin. And nice. so that's what started my research. I had to like, I was because I was just like, if a human created this, that means a you know, human leaves footprints. There will be there will be identification markers somewhere because a human created this, and I just need to find out what they are and spot them and join the dots. And when was this? Uh, so this was yeah, um, two years from the beginning of pretty much 2018 up until that would be yeah, 2020. Sort of, uh, uh, yeah, let me think. It would probably uh, uh, yeah, eight to 18 months it took me uh, to, to locate him and be pretty sure that that was him. So this is about six months before he came out publicly. Uh, yeah, so he, well, he was outed by Wired magazine uh, in 2015. And like the, the, the authorities went after him and they just said to him, look, you know, are, are you Satoshi Nakamoto? And he was just like, well, yeah, I am. And the next question was just like, we'll prove it. And he was just like, well, well, no, I'm not going to prove I am. And the reason he couldn't prove who he was is because five years wasn't long enough to give the network uh, credibility. So he was in a tricky situation in the fact that he was still in that period where he had intended to like not, um, not out himself, but the magazines had, had outed him. And because he's like Asperger's, uh, basically you, he – he just, he's very, if you ask him a question, he'll just simply give you a truthful answer. That's what Asperger's people do. <laughs> you know, he doesn't really understand the point of lying. There's still kind of a controversy of, of whether it's like a, I don't know, some guy named Hal Finney and Dorian yeah, Nakamoto yeah. and Nick yeah, yeah. Zabo. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, is it definitively accepted that Craig Wright is the, is the uh, Satoshi Nakamoto? No, not at all. Not at all. Oh. Uh, he was so he uh, the Tulip Trust was um, the keys were relinquished to him on the like first of January twenty twenty, which was this year. But imagine if he did prove himself that he actually owns the keys to the Tulip Trust that has got one million one hundred thousand one hundred eleven Bitcoin in it. People are just like, oh my goodness me, he is Satoshi Nakamoto. We better listen to him. Um, you know what he's saying is correct. He is Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, do you think those people in power really want him to prove himself? No, they don't. Well, I think his former life partner, uh, Kleinman, wanted wanted him to be able to prove it because he sued him for like $5 billion in U.S. courts at, at a, for a settlement or for a divorce. Uh, well, that, that's, actually, that's actually Ira Kleinman who is suing him. Yeah. And Ira Kleinman uh, was the uh, adopted brother of Dave Kleinman, who is his who is his business partner, and and uh, what happened there was that uh, obviously Dave and Craig were business partners and and ultimately friends, and when uh, David passed away, uh, Craig just through um, you know loyalty to his friend um, approached Ira and just said, look, you know um, I was a business partner of your brother. Um, you know, and, and we've been working on this thing. Um, you know, I, I want you to have some, but then I was just like, Oh, well, I'll, hold on a minute. I, I didn't know my brother was involved in this. Uh, yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, you know, what, what is this about? He's a state. Oh, maybe I can get more money. Hold on a minute. Oh my God, there's billions on the line. I want some of that, which he's not entitled to. <laughs> well, there's always, there's always that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that will happen. Okay, so uh, you know, before Carl interrupted with his little, you know, domestic intelligence, uh, which <laughs> added nothing. Thanks, Carl. Again, um, can you you were you were telling us that like, okay, you're you're saying the fiat currency governments and and people of authority don't want him to be proven as Satoshi Nakamoto. Yet he says he is. So if he says he is, then why wouldn't he want to prove it? Why would he want to just say, this is who I am, but fuck you, I'm not going to prove it. When he easily could, right? By showing he's got the keys to the tulip trust, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So so if he was just to simply um, 
prove himself you know, in, uh, in, in public, that would be subject to proof of social media and political spin can be applied to it and all sorts. The only way he can really prove himself is in a court of law, and in which case, if uh, newspapers or other entities try to then, you know, um, uh, politically spin the story, they're then in contempt of court. So he is going to legally prove himself in a court of law. Okay, so he is going to do that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll look forward to, uh, we will look forward to that. And uh, if he's got over a million Bitcoin, I think he's got a few bucks. Uh, he's, he's got more. He's got more than that. I'm sure. Uh, where do the Winklevoss twins come in? I mean, like these guys, I mean, really say what you want uh, uh, about these fellas, but Facebook was really kind of their idea uh, before they got fucked over uh, and, and, and paid out handsomely. And then 10 years ago, it seems like to me, they were just like, hey, man, we're going to buy a shit ton of Bitcoin and we're, you know. I think the investment community is like, whatever, fellas, you do you. Mm. And now they have what? They have a huge percentage of Bitcoin, right? So, I mean, how, how, how much Bitcoin's mm. out there right now? 18 million, 16 million? Uh, current circulating supply, 18.5 million. Right. And they have a huge percentage of that, uh, from what I understand. Um, where did that come from? Do you know any anything about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the, the Winkle Voice basically... Um, well, they told everybody that they uh, put all their damages that they received from uh, Mark Zuckerberg um, into into Bitcoin when it was about thirty eight dollars, I think, something like that. Wow! Uh, and okay, I guess I was asking for some behind the scenes intelligence there. Like, you know, have you ever heard like why they did that? Who convinced them? Was it Craig Wright? I mean, how did these guys know at thirty eight bucks this is what I want to invest tens of millions of dollars in? Mm. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it's it's like this. So when the Bitcoin white paper was released, and there's a really good quote by um, Jeff Garzik. Have you heard of him? No. He's uh, he something to do with space technology, uh-huh. um, and and he he posed a question that was, how can I have a currency which is purely digital? Can't I just simply copy your hard drive and run off with your Bitcoin? And then he looked at the technology that was behind Bitcoin, which was blockchain technology, and just said, oh, my God, I didn't realize this could be done. This is brilliant. This is revolutionary. And so what, what blockchain does, it, is, um, it allows for data to be immutable. Right. So blockchain um, is, for example, let me think of a metaphor to uh, explain blockchain. It's an ongoing digital process uh, where data is linked to one another. So therefore, once it's linked, it cannot then be reversed without all the data on the chain being uh, being changed at the same time. Right. And blockchain is... Completely separate from Bitcoin. It is simply uh, what Bitcoin no, runs. No, 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 no. Well, you can use blockchain so, for for you can use blockchain for for your company for you know processes and supply chain and things of this nature. You, it's a program. Okay. Well, here, here's the difference. So uh, you it, and again, you know, like I said, the difference between anonymity and privacy. Uh, again, this is the difference in terminology of blockchain. You have blockchain technology which is just simply the growth of the chain. But that's blockchain technology where data is linked to one another. Mm-hmm. Blockchain itself involves two processes. It involves the growth of the chain, but the dilution of the centralized starting point to dilute that central point of authority and control so that it has no single central point of failure. So that no one single party can just simply flick a switch and turn it off. So, so blockchain is that is that dilution of the central point of authority, and then you think you have to say to yourself, okay, well, if if it has no central point of authority, how is it that it can be economically sustained? If there is no central point of authority economically sustaining it, well, that's where Bitcoin comes in. So, Bitcoin is the commodity that economically sustains the blockchain. So. These companies that say they're using it for tracking their supply chain, uh, mm-hmm. for you know, uh, in banking, uh, and protecting their mm-hmm. 
their uh, information and banking. It's not the same blockchain. Well, they're, they're using blockchain technology, but because it's a, a single institution, this is all oh, right. We're using blockchain technology to, uh, to, to track our supply chain. There is still a central point of authority and control creating and managing right. that blockchain yes. of which they can just simply turn it off if they have a nefarious source that gets in and decides they don't want it or they're trying to blackmail the company. They can just simply switch, flick a switch and the entire blockchain turns itself off. So does that, does that make it not blockchain? Well, it makes it, it's blockchain technology, yeah, but it's, uh, it, it's not really blockchain. It's just, a, I see. It's just a, another way of um, managing data. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, that's interesting because, you know, in, in, my, in my world, right, there, there comes a time where these buzzwords come out and, and these buzzy, shitty, pumpy companies for a while mm. there just threw the word blockchain in a press release. And, you know, I don't, mm, you know, yeah. whatever they're selling, whatever they're doing, they're about ready to go bankrupt, but they've got this new technology that includes quote unquote blockchain and yeah. pumps up for a little bit, insiders sell out that kind of a thing. Mm. So it's good that people yeah. can understand that the difference between blockchain and the technology based on blockchain is a very, very different thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this brings us, this brings us to you. You're a fascinating guy who knows Satoshi Nakamoto. I didn't have to beat that out of you. It was right there. <laughs> uh, Craig Wright. Uh, and mm-hmm. where do you see Bitcoin going now? Because you know, you've got Bitcoin and you've got Ethereum, which is right, like a contract based in Bitcoin that is, you know, it's diff- a little difficult to understand, but that guy just made a shit ton of fucking money. Yeah. Uh, and you've got all these altcoins with white papers that are supposedly the analogous to an IPO, uh, right, mm. uh, related to Bitcoin. And most of that is just pure shit. Uh, yep. Then you've got Bitcoin Cash. And I guess mm-hmm. the guy who owns Bitcoin Cash owns the site Bitcoin. So people go to mm. Bitcoin.com think they're buying Bitcoin and they're buying Bitcoin cash, which mm. is not Bitcoin. So I know that's a big, long question, but what the fuck's going on, Satoshi? It's a really good question. So it starts with, uh, yeah, it's a political spin effectively and also lack of understanding. So I'm going to, I'm going to pose this question to you and you're going to have to use your, uh, your logic here in, in answering this. So if, if someone creates a system, what is it that prevents that system from being taken control of and effectively centralized? Because if money has a central point of authority or control, it's worthless. It's not money because somebody else can inflate it. A bit like the, uh, the US dollar. So the US dollar is, is, is not real money. It's fiat, which is backed by belief And that belief is faith in the U.S. government, but the U.S. government just simply print it. And in um, in in the the crypto space, that's called a token. So the U.S. dollar is just simply printed by the Federal Reserve. It's got no real value behind it. Correct. um, So far, I totally agree. Yeah. So so let's say you uh, you do a a trade for you know twenty dollars. You buy something for twenty dollars. The twenty dollars that you've just spent on that trade. Is does not have the same value as the twenty dollars will have the next day because by the next day the Federal Reserve will have printed more money, so that twenty dollar note doesn't carry the same value because there is more twenty dollar notes in circulation. Reasonable, yeah. And you do not have any control over the authority that has control over that money. They can print it to their heart's content. So if you have a government that is a you know like a economically uneducated. Um, you know, and just thinks, oh, well, you know, the, the issue is money. Therefore, we can uh, we can print money. They they don't understand the concept of like if we print this money, you know, oh, well, we made ourselves rich. But the, the story goes back to um, Francisco Pizarro in the 1500s when he went from um, Spain and, and plundered El Dorado. So he basically sort of like fought the Inca army and over a period of. Uh, I don't know, but I think it was 250 years. 
I can't remember how many ounces of gold and silver that they uh, they mined and brought back to Spain. And they thought, oh, great, you know, we're rich. But all that happened was you had an increased number, an increased amount of gold and silver chasing the same number of goods and services within the economy. So all it did is it massively inflated prices within the economy and ultimately led to um, political decline and uh, an economic collapse. And that's what the constant printing of money does. Agreed. That's why I was pegged to gold for so long, right? So there was, there was something keeping us from printing more uh, until the early 70s. And then we went off the gold standard. It was pegged to gold, and then you had the, the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944, uh, where they agreed that um, the US dollar was going to be the, the base currency, but that base currency could be converted to gold if they wanted to. Now, obviously, America then went on a, a, you know, a spending spree, and the French were getting a little bit concerned. They were just like, hold on a minute, we don't believe that the, you've got enough gold to, uh, to account for the amount of dollars that you've been printing. Therefore, we now no longer want uh, dollars because we think that you are just inflating them because because uh, nobody's nobody's <laughs> nobody can monitor you. Um, yeah, we now want gold, and so they sent a sh they sent a, a warship and parked it in like New York Harbor or somewhere like that. You know, saying look, you know, we want gold, and then we had the Nixon shot. It's just like, oh, actually, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, you're not getting gold anymore. Uh, you just simply have to trust us. <laughs> right, right, yeah, uh, and. Yeah, it's taken a long time for that to go bad, but I think it's, you know, with what we have going on now, it's sooner than later. I think a lot of people have the history of it. So back to Bitcoin and what's going on with all the divergences and, and so on and so well, forth. Well, do you mind if I just sort of sure. carry on this money thing yeah. and then I'll, I'll bring it back to Bitcoin because okay. this is why Bitcoin was created. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So so you're saying the dollar is backed by gold, yeah? And but gold has value because it, it was. is useful. Yeah, well, it was. Yeah, yeah. It's used in electronics. It, it's highly malleable. It's uh, highly conductive. It's non-corrosive. Yeah, it looks pretty. You know, all, all all those things. So, so people valued gold. They were just like, okay. Well, because gold has got a value, uh, we can then use it as a medium of exchange in order to conduct business because gold is is quite scarce. So, therefore, the value of it can easily represent the the goods and services that we're exchanging. For this little bit of for this little bit of metal, you know, and then because gold is uh, gold is for all intents and purposes just for the for the conversation fixed in supply, you know, so therefore it was therefore it was it was divisible and it became more and more valuable as more and more people came into trade. So and and nobody controlled gold. If you had the economic resources and it was it was economically worthwhile, you could just simply extract it from the ground. But the gold on the top. Um, that was easy to extract um, had less value than the gold that was underneath because obviously it was it was easy to extract and therefore people are like well I can get that gold tomorrow if I want to then suddenly it becomes more and more restricted people are just like, all right there's more energy that goes into this um, yeah I think I need a, a bit more for this or we're going to divide it you can get this little bit um, in exchange for that now rather than the big bit that we traded last time so that's what gives gold its value what gives Bitcoin its value. And, and this is what people really need to start understanding is blockchain technology now or our yeah, blockchain. So when I said blockchain is about diluting the central point of authority that so, so that there is no central point of authority or control that can just simply flick a switch and, and turn it off. It means there's no there's no central point of authority that can, that can turn it off and blockchain technology, the growth of the chain. Um, as more and more people start using it, it becomes more and more valuable to more people. They just, oh, well, my data is on that chain, and I value that data. Now, if if nobody can, if there is no central point of authority that could, that can turn that data off or delete it, and the um, the mining network that sustains it is distributed, when you upload your data onto the blockchain, there is no central point of authority that controls it. You control it. You have the private keys to that data. And you can share this data anywhere, and there is no way of deleting it or turning it off. And so that is where Bitcoin gets its value, because for the first time in history, you now have sovereignty over your data. And so you can upload your data to the blockchain just like you do the internet, except when you upload your data onto the internet, you're uploading it to a corporate server like Facebook, Amazon, you know, uh, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter, 
And if they do not like your point of view or your you know, political uh, you know, opinions, they can just simply delete your profile because your data is on their server. They own that data. So therefore, you do not own it. So you're either then stuck just simply storing your data on your little hard drive, of which you're then going to have trouble sharing it with other people around the world because you've still got to send it around the, around the internet. And even when it's at home, somebody can still you know, steal it, run off with it, you, know, you get caught in a flood, burning on a house fire, whatever. Whereas now you can upload your data to this source, which is unlimited with the amount of data, and all it costs you is a fraction of a Bitcoin. And it can never be cracked, hacked, altered, changed, or deleted. Okay. So you, you talked a little bit about that centralization and, and some of the research that I was doing, like 70% of the mining right now is done out of China. Mm. And yet it's illegal in China. Mm. So aren't they, in, a, in, a, in essence, trying to force centralization? Uh, no, they're trying to control supply, dumbass. Centralization. They're, not, they're not forcing centralization. They're 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 trying to control supply. What the fuck's the matter with you? <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> I, I know I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You're saying, well, like you know, because um, because the majority of the miners are in are in China. Does that not mean that um, you know, the network is vulnerable? Well. Not, not really, because let's say the Chinese government just says, right, you're not allowed to mine this anymore. That's it. The other miners all around the world just simply get more of a more of a share on the network. They're like, great, this is fantastic. That's why it's called proof of work. It's it's competitive. So there are there are two things here. You have the separate entities maintaining the network, and they are all competing with one another, and that's what makes it decentralized. But they can come to consensus when all of those different entities who are competing with each other to mine it agree that a, a particular decision benefits everybody. They're like, yeah, so yeah, we agree on the way to speed, um, you know, to increase speed, um, reduce cost, and uh, uh, increase the volume of, of scale the network. All the miners are just like, yeah, because that means more people can use it, but we're still going to compete with each other. And, and this is, again, what people really need to uh, understand. So there are lots of other consensus mechanisms that um, these cryptocurrencies use, like, for example, proof of stake, uh, pre-mined as a hedra hash graph, iota tangle, um, all these things. They're I, all centralized I have, I have no idea what you just said. I have no <laughs> that, that That's where you're like, I mean, come on, seriously, dude. I, you know, iota tango. I mean, it, it, it's like you're calling it a bomb strike. <laughs> But we're just gonna have to you have to just like slow down a little bit and you know where you think you're using terms that are very inside give a little bit of an explanation there I and mean, we've got the explanation right. of why fiat currency is complete bullshit we know okay so we know um again it, this comes back to control so what i'll do is i will i'll explain to you as simply as i can how the network is sustained and then I will tell you the role that developers play. They're the two main things that, re that really need to be understood. So in terms of maintaining the network, there cannot be a central point of control that maintains it because that control can just simply be attacked and taken out of the game and the network is gone. So how do you ensure that these different entities are independent from each other? And the way you do that is making sure there's competition between them. If there is no competition, there is simply collusion. And when you get collusion, you have centralization and, and money becomes worthless. So, for example, Ethereum is moving to what they call proof of stake. Now, proof of stake just means that you can effectively buy a part of the network. But there is no competition between the stakeholders. So, you, so it's distributed, but it's not decentralized because the stakeholders have no competition between them. And then you've got to look at it from the point of view of China and America. Are China and America going to agree to use a currency that is, owned, that is effectively owned and controlled by a, a group of people no. who are the stakeholders? Yeah, no. Well, no, they're not. There's a, China will never, ever use a currency that is owned and controlled by a group of people. <laughs> no. There needs to be competition between those who sustain the network. And, and also the network needs to be open for anybody else to come in. 
So China miners are saying, actually, you know what? We we want some of that. We're now, we're now going to start mining it. And America will be like, oh, well, actually, we, we, we want some of that as well. We're going to start mining it. And no one can stop them. Anybody can mine it. Yeah. It takes a great deal of energy, though. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's energy and there's, uh, but there's, in terms of what Bitcoin is, so uh, think about this. Everything in the world is digital. Everything is digital. And let's say if you want to present evidence to a court uh, and, and the information is digital, you need to be sure that that information cannot be cracked, tagged, altered, changed, or deleted so that nobody can dispute it. And if, it, if it's on blockchain and the chain cannot be, has no central point of authority or control, which means nobody can rewind the chain, and the data on it stays as it is, you can be sure that that data is factually correct. Yeah. And so what's going to happen in the future, and I know <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm sort of moving ahead here because obviously uh, we're, in terms of uh, having all the information that I've got, it's not practical to just simply try and <laughs> relate to you in like in five minutes. Yeah. But what I'm going to say is that the entire internet will run on blockchain technology very soon because every, because data is too precious to lose. So for example, I don't know what it's like in the uh, in the in the United States, but here in the UK, if a financial institution was to lose a single customer's records of a single transaction, they would automatically be fined 10% of their gross global profits because trust in the financial system is what underpins it. So there are huge consequences to losing data. And so these, these huge investment banks and retail banks and financial institutions spend millions, if not billions, on securing their data and employing the services of, of different data sources, so for like Microsoft Cloud and Amazon Web Services and, and you know, having storing the data on multiple servers in multiple locations, just in case, you know, to sort of try and prevent that single point of failure. Now you can get rid of all of that. And all you simply do is upload that data to the blockchain because it's the blockchain itself that is decentralized and distributed and doesn't have that central point of authority. So data is now safe. So when you've got one company saying, oh, actually, uh, yeah, we're gonna, that's a really good idea. We're going to start uploading our data on there because it's safe. And then another company goes, oh, actually, uh, that's a really good idea. We'll start doing it as well. Now you've got two large companies that have got an interest in maintaining the network. And they're going to become miners as well because they want to secure their own data. And what's going to happen in the future is that all the largest companies in the world, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Netflix, Apple, they're all going to become Bitcoin miners because they have the volume of transactions from their businesses to justify economically becoming mining operations. Well, I mean, is there a need to mine once you get to 21 million? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um Mining is actually the, the processing of transactions. That that's effectively what it is. So, uh, yeah, but uh, okay, but for for now, when you mine, if you mine enough, you get a bitcoin, but that will end. Yeah. So in, in the year twenty one forty, the last bitcoin will be mined, right. and from then on, the those who economically sustain the network that engage in this process of mining mining is a is a metaphoric name given to hashing which is the cracking of the sha-256 algorithm which is the secure secure hash algorithm that currently maintains the internet as we know it it's the, it's the same security that um secures bitcoin technically so so they put this energy in towards hashing, which we call mining, which is processing the transactions. And then after the year 2021, the miners will then be rewarded in a very, very small fraction of the payment. But be the, the volume of payments by then needs to be so big that they could, there will be millions and billions of transactions per second. So it's the volume that will enable it to be economically self-sustaining. And what happens to fiat currency? A fiat currency will always will serves a purpose because you always need recommended retail prices. 
you know, some costs need to be fixed. It's, you can't just simply go on and, you know, um, be constantly paying a different price for a bus ticket. You know, your businesses need to have their costs fixed um, in some way. And so a fiat currencies will be used as uh, recommended retail price indices mm -hmm. to set the price for something. Okay. So that, that'll still be around for the, you know, short to long term. Uh, yeah, but it will, um, you know, a lot of these um, countries are moving on to having central bank digital currencies uh, and they need, they need a network for these central bank digital currencies to run on. And the only network that, that is safe for these central bank digital currencies to run on is the Bitcoin network, which is, which is BSV. So these, these central banks will be, will be using the BSV network for their central bank digital currencies. When are all these companies going to be running on blockchain? You said that in the very near future, you said the internet is going to be blockchain in the very near future. Mm. What does that mean? All right. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, let, let's have a let's have a discussion about that. So, so um, the reason mobile phones took off is because they were extremely useful. You know, they 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 uh, you know eased right. communication right. and uh, you know they just made people's lives easier and business more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but the mobile phone network needed to be built. Yeah, you know, they needed to build all these uh, telephone masks and things like that. Yeah. All right. So now let's take you. Know, um, let's compare how long how long that ne network took to build in comparison to a digital infrastructure that is already in place. So you have a digital infrastructure that's already in place, and you have security and efficiencies of data. So you have data security and efficiency of the data because all those costs that you initially incurred trying to keep that data safe are now out of the way you're putting all this data on the blockchain to secure it and make it more efficient because you can send it around the world so fast. But not only is this saving you money from efficiencies and securities with your data, it is also an asset that is increasing in value. So now you've got something that is saving money and making corporations money at the same time with an infrastructure that's already built. You tell me how fast is that going to take off? Uh, well, I wasn't the one purporting that it would. So since you were, how about you tell us hmm. how fast is it going to take off? How, how long, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> right. Okay. It's, it's, it's literally, you have to look at how valuable is the sovereignty is having sovereignty over your own data. Do you like the idea of uploading your family photos and wedding videos to a corporate server that can just simply delete them on a whim? Or do you want to have them uploaded to a, a digital network that has no single central source of failure to which you own your data? And if you want to, you can share it with anybody you like. Well, I think there are some people out there that, you know, and I could probably point them out on the street <laughs> that are, are not a fan of nothing being able to be deleted. Yeah, there's some... So we could say to the privacy piece, right? So you upload the yeah, and I know naked so, I picture know, of somebody, and uh, it's there forever. Don't ever see naked picture again, Carl. I get where you're getting at. So there's there's two things here. One, um, you know, you can't you can't turn back time. So therefore, you shouldn't do anything um, if you know it shouldn't be done. <laughs> I'm writing these two things down. One, how long is a yeah. is a piece of string? Okay, I'm writing that one down because because I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, and uh, you can't turn back time, so don't do anything wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, why would you do something? You, the only reason you would because do something because fucking that you people would want do to be things wrong, Sir Tashi. It shouldn't be yeah. done. Yeah, well, okay. Now let's now let's go back to Earth. Let's let's come back here for a second where people do things wrong all the time and yeah yeah and what you what you're hypothesizing and really you know predicting for the future is that you will no longer be able to delete information it's it's there forever if if that's not already the case somebody could tell me that's already the case and i might not argue with them and i'm saying that there are there are people who just don't like that 
They like to be able to yeah, take a okay. piece of paper they wrote something down on and made a mistake and burn it. So what's going to happen? What happens? Well, and this is only on the Bitcoin blockchain, which is BSV. Uh-huh. Let's say somebody puts um, you know images on, on the chain, uh-huh. and and you don't want that to be accessible to you know other people who might see it. For example, on the on the Bitcoin blockchain, that information uh, it it has what they call a double hash function. Uh-huh. which allows that data to be filtered and isolated. So it can't be deleted, but nobody can have access to it. So who's controlling that though? You, you as the person who uploaded it or, or, or the, the, the BSV administrators decide what, what, what's in there? So there, there is no administrators. There is, there is the mining network, the distributed mining network. Mm-hmm. And when you upload your data, it randomly it's like winning the lottery and miners compete with this hash rate to, to upload that data. Then it just simply gets logged in the chain and then more data gets piled on top of it. So it's there forever. But in terms of getting rid of that data, you can, you can filter it so that no one will ever see it, but only the person who uploaded it will know it's there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not sure I'm, I'm there yet with understanding that like, yeah, it still exists. It's still there, and that's fine. I, you know, I guess I could make the case that it's probably there forever right now, anyway. Whether yeah, it's on blockchain or not. What do they say? The internet doesn't forget, right? If you don't want it on the chain, just don't put it there. Yeah, fair enough. All right, switching gears for a second. What is Bitcoin SV? Mm. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk about a concept here. So let's say uh, the concept of numbers has always been around since the beginning of time. Um, what's what's the, the creative part about numbers is how you express them. So you cannot change the concept of one. One is still one. The concept of one is one, no matter how you express it, whether it's, you know, alphanumeric, Hindu, Arabic, Roman numerals, you know, the concept of one is one. If you, cha- if you change that concept of one, it is no longer one. You know, and so what's happened with Bitcoin is that when you change the fundamental protocol as to how it operates, it effectively you can you send you can send you centralize it, but you you make it absolutely worthless. So if you make a change to the protocol, what you should do is tell people that you've made a change to the protocol and rename it. But what's happened is that obviously these nefarious sources who don't want Bitcoin to succeed, they would just well actually what we'll do is we'll change the protocol, but we'll keep the same name to confuse people. And that's what's happened. So Bitcoin SV is the original Bitcoin because it is exactly the same as it was when it started. These other names like Bitcoin Cash and and BTC that uh, people think is Bitcoin have been changed. Right. And that's where all these arguments come in. Right. Yeah. Well, the argument is like, you know, whether you're calling it Sertashi Nakamoto or Craig Wright or whatever, he is not Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> if, if, if that's your bag anyway, uh, and things can change. And that's where Bitcoin Cash comes in at BTC and whatever. And then there are the originalists that say, no, they can't change. And I guess that's where you are. And that's what Bitcoin SV is. It's, it's kind of pushing out the, Hey, you were smart enough to get Bitcoin.com. And now you're pushing Bitcoin cash on Bitcoin.com, blah, blah, blah. But Bitcoin SV is the original Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, from that, do you mind, I'm going to sort of challenge you here. This, this might be a little bit tricky for you to get through your head, but it's really important. I'm going to mention five things which will um, make you understand why Bitcoin is just simply Bitcoin and BSV is that original Bitcoin. Uh, are, you, are you ready for this? No, I think it'll be more fun if you do it to Carl. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Carl. Give it to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, right. So, so here, here we go. Like I said, if money has a central point of authority or control, it's absolutely worthless. 
So how do you make something neutral and effectively decentralized? So you have developers that, that work on the network and, and create it. So how do you prevent a developer from taking control of the network? Well, Satoshi Nakamoto designed Bitcoin with a chain of signatures. And a, a signature is something that goes with every alteration that is made. And effectively, whoever it was that made the alteration has their signature attached to that change. So therefore, they're effectively held accountable to every, for everything that they've done. Now, if they're accountable, um, it means that they're not anonymous. So if you're, if you're anonymous, you can do something to a network that nobody else would know about. And you're like, yeah, I've got control of that. So this is why BTC, the, the company who um, owned BTC, implemented this, what they called SegWit, which was on the 24th of August, 2017, which broke this chain of signatures. So now which they called SegWit is uh, an abbreviation for, for segregated witness. So they, were, they understood that in order to control Bitcoin, they had to break this chain of signatures in order to control it. So, so that's, that's what BTC has done. They've broken the chain of signatures. Um, but by breaking the chain of signatures, it means they now have complete control over that network. And effectively, they've rendered it absolutely worthless. But people don't realize this. And even when I try to explain it, they go absolutely nuts, which you know, is, is understandable. But that's the first thing. Signatures holding all the developers on the network to account so that no one could do anything that nobody else wouldn't know about. That's the first thing. After that, you have to have a locked protocol. Now, if it's locked, it means that it is permissionless. And if it's permissionless because it's locked and it doesn't change, it means that everyone and anyone can build whatever they want on top of it because it doesn't change. And again, this is what Bitcoin Cash has done has made a mistake. They're changing the protocol, like doing an upgrade to the protocol, the foundation to it every six months. So effectively, if you want to build something on it every six months, you're going to have to uh, start again, which is, which is ridiculous. So you need a locked protocol. Thirdly, you need infinite scale. And the reason you need infinite scale is because you have to have a constant new markets for the miners of the network to compete for. So if the market is not constantly expanding, these miners can only just simply start taking market share from their competitors. And if they start taking market share from their competitors, eventually the system is just simply going to centralize as the law of the jungle prevails and the, and the strongest takes over because there's no new market to uh, compete for. So that's why scale has to be infinite. And this is why the, this, uh, the chain has to scale um, effectively infinitely. And, and Bitcoin has to be effectively infinitely divisible. So it just it never stops. Fourthly, you have to have competition in the network between those who sustain it, because as I've said previously, without competition, you just simply get collusion. And with collusion comes centralization and a centralized network, which is fundamentally worthless. And then last, last of all, you have to have a fixed supply. If the supply is not fixed, it means that there is a central point controlling it, influencing it, changing it, just like the Federal Reserve does with the dollar by massively devaluing it. And so they're, they're the five pillars of decentralization that, that Satoshi Nakamoto designed. And they are only still intact in Bitcoin, in, which is BSV. Uh, mm. I think what holds Bitcoin back personally uh, at this point is how difficult it is to get in and out of. How do you mean in and out of? As in like into dollars and back again? Yeah. Well, you know, buying it and converting it back to dollars. It's only difficult in the U.S., in, in the UK, it's really easy. It's instant. It's amazing. I can, I can jump in and out of that literally in an instant. But yeah, the ease of use has to improve here. You've got to be able to, yeah, like you say, get in and out in an instant. On the, on the next episode, I can tell you how to purchase one. There you go. And I, and I will tell you this, and, and this, is, this is one of the things that my, the, our listeners should know. And one of the things that really interested me and piqued my interest in, in Bitcoin at one point in 2018, we were pinged by the FBI to say, hey, you're being surveilled by Chinese intelligence, blah, 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 which was no surprise to me. I'm like, yeah, no fucking shit. 
I mean, why, why are you calling me now? Well, they had just picked up on it for some reason because they apparently the the group that was surveilling us was were using North Koreans to do it, bringing them over the border. Wow. So they show up here at the office from parts unknown and not the local field office, mind you. This is these are the guys that deal in um, in this sort of thing. And apparently these North Koreans also handle some black market currency issues. Mm-hmm. While they're here and they know what we do for a living, you know, in a in a in a moment where we're just having a casual conversation, both agents start chatting us up about Bitcoin. And they had read that oh, right. yeah, Geo Investing at one point, my former company I was with, um, had had put out some innocuous stuff on Bitcoin just because it was it, it was out there, right? So they're asking what we thought of it. And I, you know, I kind of said, listen, I think it's here to stay. I think it's going to grow. I, you know, I think people are tired of, you know, uh, people printing paper and saying it's worth this. And they're kind of shaking mm. their heads. Uh, and they both disclosed that they had Bitcoin wallets and that they had Bitcoin and they deal with dark money. <laughs> But mm. they had Bitcoin. And the, and I was like, so so, you guys as agents say you have Bitcoin. This is not going anywhere. And they're like, oh, fuck no. No, this is. Well, this you know, the Department of Justice has just received a billion dollars in cryptocurrency. Yeah. It was uh, confiscated from the Silk Road. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, that's the other interesting thing. People say this is why it's not going to work because, you know, Bitcoin is used for nefarious things. What do you think cash is used for? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything. W- yeah, when I mean, what cash is used for nefarious things, right? So of course, Bitcoin being of value will be used for the same. That is the dumbest argument in this space. But having said that, Sertashi, thank you very much. Been a pleasure. You know, I I do actually understand a lot more than I did before I came in here, and uh, it was a pleasure talking to you again. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's do this uh, uh, again soon. All right, great. I'll see you. Bye, Tashi. Thank see you, boys. Much. See you later. Okay, that was an interesting conversation with Sir Toshi. Uh, we'll have more of those conversations going forward. Maybe not just with Sir Toshi, but with others. If you agree with what he had to say, ping us. If you disagree with what he had to say, and you've got a different perspective on Bitcoin, whether BSV is the right coin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum. We want to know it. We want to hear it. We want to know whether you think Craig Wright really is Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, the, the inventor of Bitcoin. If you agree with that, let us know. If you don't, let us know. Tell us why. Talk to us about some other players in the space. Maybe we'll get some education on Bitcoin and pass on some knowledge. Because I think it's here to stay. And if it's here to stay, we might as well figure it out. For now, this is the Wolfpack saying goodbye. And we'll talk to you on the next podcast. If you hear him howling around your kitchen door.